0: This is ourselves is about us embracing the finished work of Jesus and building our identity on who Jesus is, not who we are or who we were socialized to be. We're being made new again in Christ and the cross is the center of our lives. See, Jesus wants to undo all the garbage in our identity and give us an identity based on children of God.
1: What does it mean to love yourself? If you ask around, you'll get a lot of different answers to that question. Well, today, Pastor Daniel shares that the Bible says that loving yourself doesn't mean giving in to every desire you have. In fact, self-love is rooted in self-control. As you explore the topic of personal identity and love, you'll learn that the Lord wants to undo the crooked parts of who you think you are by rooting your identity in him. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Matthew chapter 6, as he begins his message, The Need for Self-Control.
0: Nobody ever can forget the day that their children were born. But on the day that Maranatha was born, my second child, something happened that was so awesomely bewildering that I want to share it with you. Now, any husband knows that when his wife goes into labor and has a child, that at that point, his wife is super girl, like right? just so strong. And my wife, Lynn, for those of you who know her, you women who are in women's ministry know, she's like textbook meekness. She's a, just a sweet, kind person. But anybody who knows my wife also knows that meekness is never weakness, right? And my wife Lynn is a strong girl. So when she was in labor for both Obadiah and Maranatha, she was not gonna be the woman who goes to the hospital and gets sent home. Like, she's just like, that was her thing. Like, they are not gonna send me home, right? And so, sure enough, so she would get really, really, really deep into labor, and then I'd have to like strong arm her to get her to the hospital right? So with Maranatha and I already had this experience with Obadiah, which is another story for another time, which was hysterical. But so sure enough, it's about 10 o'clock at night, right? And Lynn is in labor. And so I'm like, okay, we're going to need to get her to the hospital, but it's 10 o'clock at night. And so like anybody, we ate dinner at like, what, five, six o'clock and she's going into labor and it's 10 o'clock. So I start thinking to myself, man, it's going to be a long night. I'm a little hungry. I'm a human, like, it's like, you know, I'm hungry. So sure enough, I have to go get our car because we lived in this townhouse and it was on this big thing and our car was parked up at the parking lot and I'm not going to make her walk up the big hill to get to the car. I'm, like, I'm going to be at least a gentleman about it. I'm going to bring the car down. I'm going to park it right in front of the door. We're going to get her in and we're going to get her to the hospital on time. No problem, right? So sure enough, I get in the car and I go and I park and then I want to clean everything out. But now at this point, when Maranatha's born, Obadiah is about three years old, which means the back of Lynn's car is like a candy factory, right? There's Cheerios and everything. And so sure, like I'm hungry, and I know I gotta get her. And I remember, I I go to put something in there, and there's like a little pile of Cheez-Its right there. (laughs) Uh, And I had that moment. I was in the valley of decision, right? I'm in that moment, and the Cheez-Its are there, and I'm thinking to myself, don't you eat those. Don't, don't do it. You're going to get in trouble. And before I knew it, I had those Cheez-Its and they were in my mouth. Because I wasn't going to get a chance to eat. I'm not going to be like driving to the hospital and be like, hey, can we stop over here at Wendy's or something? You know? So sure enough, and I'm smart enough to know she's in labor and I just ate some Cheez-Its. So like I'm sitting outside like chewing, you know, like finding water and just Uh, Sure enough, I walk inside, and right as I walk in, Lynn's standing there, and she has a contraction, and she looks at me, she goes,
1: what are you eating?
0: (laughs) First and only time I ever got yelled at by my wife was right there, eating Cheez-Its. And it was justified, right? I mean, like, you know, what was I thinking, eating Cheez-Its? I -I? I knew better. But guess what? In the moment, knowing that she was, we were going to have a baby that night, and, you know, I didn't function in self-control. And like, what's funny is that if, if you could have been in my head when I saw that pile of cheeses, I'm like, mm, that looks good. Don't eat it. You're going to get in trouble. That was what went through my brain. Like, mm, that looks good. Don't eat it. You're going to get in trouble. And then when I walked in, literally her whole face contorted. <laughs> and like, my wife isn't demon-possessed, but she could have been in that moment. <laughs> she just came out, what are you eating? I'm like, Jesus, you know? Like, what do you do at that point? Why do I tell you this story? Because self-control is an important part of life. The idea of willpower. See, every single person needs to function in some sort of self-control. It is a fruit of the Spirit, but words like willpower, determination, resolve, self-discipline. You all realize that self-control is an important part of being a human being what does it mean actually most often it is defined by the ability to delay gratification resisting short term temptations in order to meet long term goals that's what self control it's resisting a short term temptation in order to achieve a long term goal see it's also you can say that self control or willpower is the capacity to override unwanted thoughts, feelings, or impulses. And every single human being needs to exhibit willpower and self-control. We teach our children that, right? We want our children to understand when it's appropriate and what's not appropriate, to know when and how to. And you do that so that they can grow up and be functioning, healthy people in the world. And we all know what it's like when we know somebody whose child has not learned any sort of willpower. I mean, even think about it right now, we've been doing with our youngest, Annabelle. You know, she's two years old, and so we got her a little training potty for her. It's so cool, and if she sits on the potty and she uses it, it actually sings her like a happy song. <laughs> now, just so you know, if someone wants a job, you gotta make one of those for adults. Because I don't know about you, but if you finish going to the restroom and it cheers for you, it tells you a happy song, you did a great job, yay, woo! Wouldn't that make going to the bathroom way more fun than it is right now? It's a great business idea for somebody who's looking for a, just, the adult version of it, be so good. You guys are like, no, yes it would be, you'd really like it. And what would be really fun, you're sitting in the living room and all of a sudden you hear the potty song go off and you're like, yes, Start cheering from the, li- never mind, okay, sorry. But part of teaching your children to be potty trained is to exercise self-control, right? Because all of a sudden you realize you have to go and you hold off on having to go until you get yourself onto the potty and then you take care of it. Right, And so all of this is about learning self-control, about learning willpower, and it's an essential part of life. Now listen, you have to realize that if we are going to learn the art of living, this series that we're doing, this hashtag art of living, willpower and self-control has to be a part of that. And I'm here to tell you that you can never love yourself properly unless you actually have willpower and self-control. Remember, we're doing this series, right? It's based on Jesus' greatest commandment, right? We love God, and then we love our neighbor as ourselves. So we live upwardly loving God. We live inwardly because of our love for God. We love ourselves properly. And then we live outwardly. We love other people because of the love that God has for us. And then we rightly relate to ourselves. And then we turn it outward. And we're in that second section right now where we're learning how to love ourselves. And it's interesting because I keep saying that us learning how to love ourselves has nothing to do with us giving into what comes naturally for us. Loving ourselves is about us embracing the finished work of Jesus and building our identity on who Jesus is. Not who we are or who we we're socialized to be. We're being made new again in Christ and the cross is the center of our lives. See, Jesus wants to undo all the garbage in our identity and give us a identity based on children of God. And it begins, and we saw it last week, with the need for reflection. We said that in order to love ourselves, we need to be honest with ourselves. And we satisfy this need for honesty by reflection, which is looking at ourselves in the face of the perfect Jesus so we can be real about who we really are. We demand honesty from others, but oftentimes we're the least honest with ourselves. We want everyone to be serious, but we're not really honest about who we are. Now, if loving ourselves, if willpower and self-control is an essential part of this, then the Bible teaches us to satisfy our need for self-control by something that the Bible calls fasting. Fasting is the discipline that our Bibles give us for us to walk and learn about self-control. Now, what's interesting about fasting is, within our Bibles, it's everywhere and it's one of the things that we talk about the least in church, especially in the 21st century American church. We don't talk about fasting. Why? Well, I don't think it's super popular. To say that we are going to focus on delaying gratification so that we can achieve longer term goals. Now, so you have to realize that most problems that plague people in our society have their root in a failure of self control addiction, overeating or undereating, crime, domestic violence, sexually transmitted diseases, prejudice. Debt, educational failure, relational failure, underperformance at school and work, a lack of savings, failure to take care of yourself. Don't all of them have a self-control component to it? See, one of the things about this idea of self-control or willpower is that not everybody struggles in every area, but all of us struggle in some area, right? There are some people who do a great job of keeping themselves physically healthy, but they do a lousy job keeping themselves financially afloat. Or they do a great job of curbing their sexual appetites, but they struggle in curbing another set of appetites. And so the Bible has given us this idea of fasting as a way to, in some ways, train ourselves that we might grow up into the fruit of the Spirit that is self-control. Now... What is fasting? What is it? Fasting is simply the decision to deny yourself something for a season to focus on something even more important. That's what fasting is. It's the desire to deny something for a season or for a certain amount of time that we can work on something that is even more important. Now... In the Bible, of course, you have things like, you can fast from food. That was a very common one. Food is an essential part of life. If you don't eat for a long time, you will die of malnutrition and starvation. But by abstaining from food for a period, you're focusing on something more important than something that is necessary for your life. See, fasting, is a great way to battle temptation. In the book of 1 Corinthians we learn that couples should decide to abstain from sexual intimacy for a season, an agreed upon season, so that self-control may be fostered in their lives and in their hearts. Oftentimes people would fast for direction, they need to understand where to go, what to do. Fasting teaches us our need for God. When you fast, don't you realize how grumpy you get when you don't eat? Yeah. It reminds us how tied we are to these bodies. And when you try and fast, you go through these times when you're really struggling. You're like, oh, why why am I to do this to myself? But then you get these moments of tremendous clarity when you realize how much you need God. I've heard it said this way, that fasting is love sickness for God. There's that old story, right? Someone falls in love, they get lovesick. They can't eat, they can't sleep. They're just so caught up and wrapped with a person. Fasting is love sickness for God. So the question for us today is, are we living the art of living and learning and growing in willpower and self-control through the discipline of fasting? I want you to open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. We're going to take both here, and I'm also going to have you turn to Isaiah 58 in a little while. So start in Matthew chapter 6. And I literally, I want you to open up your Bibles. Now you might say, well, hey, I got my smartphone. That's cool too. Just type in Matthew chapter 6. But we want you to read along to see where these things are coming from. Matthew chapter 6. You guys remember Matthew's gospel. It's the first of the four gospels. Right, So if you open up the last third of your Bibles, the New Testament, Matthew is the very first book. And what's interesting is that in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus goes through the three primary acts of Jewish piety to explain to the people how they ought to live. First, you talk about charitable giving when you do your charitable deeds. That's the first thing. And then he goes through the idea of prayer, which was the second thing. And then the third act of Jewish piety is fasting. And we get it in verses 16 to 18. Look at what Jesus says. He says, "'Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites, with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their face, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face.' so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, I want you to notice this. Over and over again, we see in these verses, Jesus says, and when you fast, you get it in verse 16, and you get it in verse 17. So twice over three verses, Jesus says, and when you fast, You link that up to Matthew chapter 9, verse 15, because what happened was, is they said to Jesus' disciples, well, the disciples of John the Baptist fast, why don't your disciples fast? He said, look, nobody fasts when the bridegroom is there, but when the bridegroom goes away, then they'll fast. So he's saying, listen, when it's party time, it's party time, and when party time is over, then they'll get down to business. That's what he says. And so... You and I are encouraged by the Lord himself to be people who fast. Jesus fasted, right? You guys remember, Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights without food or water in the wilderness in preparation for the work of ministry. So Jesus fasted, and he lived the abundant life. He always did those things which pleased his Father. And you and I... In the same way, when we fast. So I am encouraging you to a lifestyle of fasting. What do we learn in these verses? I think most importantly, what we learn is that you need to fast privately. You need to fast privately. This is a private discipline. You see, Jesus spends a lot of time. Look at verse 16. When you fast, do not be like the... Hypocrites! That word could also be the pretenders, with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now Listen. Don't forget, Jesus was living and did his entire ministry within the nation of Israel, right? And so they were steeped in the law of Moses and fasting had become an integral part of the rhythm of their lives. According to the law, the day of atonement once a year was meant to be a fast day. But during the exile, they began to have numerous fast days. And so people would fast, and it would be part of their lifestyle. Now, in that culture that Jesus lived in, because it was a religiously charged culture, people always wanted to do some sort of ostentatious display of religiosity. Right? And so when people would be fasting, they would be sad, and they wouldn't take a shower, and they'd look all grumpy. And they'd say, oh, you're so grumpy. What's going on? I'm fasting. And they'd say, oh, so spiritual right? And Jesus calls that hypocrisy. Now listen, we do not live in a religiously charged culture, but I've been in church long enough to know, don't you always meet somebody who's doing some crazy fast and they make sure everybody knows it? I'll never forget. And it's kind of a classic story. When I was a young assistant pastor, I was in Marin County, California, and there was a man who decided that he was going to fast for 40 days and 40 nights, just like Jesus. Now listen, Unless somebody gets some bright ideas about doing that, right? Go see a doctor, because when it says that Jesus was hungry again, it was because he was starving to death. So if you don't eat for 40 days and 40 days, you might not make it out the other side of it. I'm just going to say that. Literally, it says that Jesus, and then he was hungry What science will tell you is that when you don't eat for a long time, in the beginning you'll be really hungry, but then your body needs to take the energy from being hungry and keep you alive. And then when your hunger pangs come back, that actually means that you're starving to death. Now your body's like, look, I need to make them hungry, because if they don't, they're going to die. And that's where Jesus was. But there was a pastor who decided, I'm going to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. And it was amazing, he didn't follow Jesus' teaching, because everybody knew it. Everybody knew that this pastor was going to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, so sure enough, you go to a pastor's breakfast, right? And there's eggs, and there's biscuits, and there's bacon, and there's cinnamon rolls, and there's fruit and coffee, and this guy had a little water bottle. Looking all sorts of spiritual. <laughs> and people would be like, oh, oh, sorry, sorry. And everyone would say, oh, man, he's fat. God's going to just bless that church so much. You know what happened to that poor church? Closed down six months later. Everybody just left. You say, but, but, listen. When you do an ostentatious display of religiosity to put God into your debt, you mess it all up. See, you don't fast so that everybody knows and says, oh, so-and-so is so spiritual. Oh, wow, God must really love them. As if God is swayed by our works. Come on. See, it's amazing how you take a good thing and then you bring it out of the bounds of what God created it for and then it becomes a problem. I was so blessed because I learned about fasting from my pastor and I I would say, so what's funny for me is my call to ministry came the very first time I ever tried to fast. Because I remember I was a young Christian, I was playing music as a career and I remember being like, man, I was reading about in the Bible, I'm like, I should try and do that. What's that all about? You know, and I remember talking to my pastor, so like, like this whole fasting thing, like, why on God's green earth would anyone not want to eat for a couple of days? I mean, it's just like, I'm all Italian. I mean, who, what? I mean, you're not just like skipping thirdsies on dessert, you're just like not eating any meal. It's like, what? And he would explain it to me, and he'd say, well, listen, what you're doing is you're saying, God, I need food, but I need you more than I need my food. And you learn all these things. And so I'm like, okay, but okay, so if I go to fast, like what happens if someone offers me a piece of cake? Because I don't want to tell them, well, I'm fasting because Jesus told me that's hypocritical. He's like, well, if you're fasting and somebody offers you a piece of cake, you eat the piece of cake, you say, thank you very much. I'm like, but I'm fasting. He's like, look, you don't want to tell them no and tell them you're fasting. And they're going to think you're more spiritual than you really are. The reason you're fasting is because you ain't spiritual and you want to get spiritual. So he's like, you don't want to be that guy who's like, oh, sorry, oh, thanks, oh, sorry. no, 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 no I'm fasting.
1: Jesus is real. We're so glad you listened as Pastor Daniel explained how your need for self control is met in fasting. You discovered that fasting is a personal and private way to connect with the Lord on a deeper level. It shouldn't be done to draw attention to yourself or even to make you seem more spiritual. Fasting is all about setting aside your desires so that you can know God's heart more clearly and deeply than you have before. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus's Real Radio. I'm so excited
0: about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore his people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus's Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at jesus'srealradio.com thank you for prayerfully considering this. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus is Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus is Real Radio at 360-256-4655, or email me at real at
1: danielfusco.com. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share that fasting isn't just about abstaining from food. You'll discover that you can fast from anything that holds a place of priority in your life. You'll share that fasting is about setting aside the things that fill up your time and take your attention and replacing them with time spent with the Lord. Giving God this priority invites him into your heart and helps you live in new and fresh ways. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called The Art of Living. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus Is Real Radio.